Hello everyone, my name is Andre Rods and today I'm going to be speaking to you about immigration law in the United States. To understand immigration law, you need to understand its foundation and recent history and how it shaped the policies that are enacted today. To begin, in 1917, the United States first enacted its widely restrictive immigration law that was passed by the 64th United States Congress under President Woodrow Wilson. It was sparked from the uncertainty and concern that was basically created from the United States entering World War I. During this time period, the United States was in a very unstable condition, dealing with the, the Great Depression and just a sense of confusion and misunderstanding as to why this war was happening because the United States and honestly the world as a whole had never seen a war at this scale. It was because of this uncertainty and concern that made it possible for Congress to pass this legislation that basically introduced immigration law. The 1917 Act implemented a literacy test that required immigrants over 16 years of age to demonstrate basic reading comprehension in any language. Basically, the point of doing this was to kind of persecute these immigrants that were trying to come into the United States. People from outside of the United States that were trying to come in were coming from war-torn countries or places where they faced oppression. Because of these reasons, their education system and levels were much lower than that of the United States, and many times they just simply did not understand how to read basic reading or do basic things that were required in the literacy test. This made things very difficult for immigrants to come into the United States and basically kind of created a loophole and a rift that made it impossible and, and just was made to be put on paper instead of actually trying to make a difference. In addition to this, it was also an increase in tax pay by new immigrants, which gave gateway to officials to exercise somewhat of more discretion on who they included in this newfound sense of discrimination in terms of tax payment. They were basically able to choose which people they were to tax more or less of based on where they were coming from and their economic status from their countries of origin. This act also excluded anyone that was born in geographically defined Asiatic barred zones, except for those of Japanese and Filipino descent. This legislation included several provisions that eventually led to the creating of the Immigration Act of 1924, which was the main basis of immigration law and policy in the United States. The Immigration Act of 1924, which is also known as the Johnson-Reed Act, was passed by Representative Albert Johnson with broad support from Western and Southern representatives. This act limited the number of immigrants that were allowed entry into the United States through a national origins quota. This quota basically provided immigration visas to only 2% of the total number of people of each nationality in the United States that was measured through the national census of 1890. As previously stated, these two acts were the first two in recent American history that essentially tailored to immigration law and policy in the United States and shaped what it is today. In 2002, the United States enhanced its border security and visa entry reform act. The United States began to require an electronic data system to be used to make available information relevant to admissions and basically removability of immigrants. What this means is it kind of made a more modernized system and approach to immigration and made it easier for immigrants to be disbarred from the United States without having to go through such a hard literacy process. Mandates implemented of a visa entry exit data system eventually became the U.S. visit, which is what it is called today. Basically, what this means is like the visa entry is how you enter this country with a visa. That was founded in 2002 to kind of steer away from just old, unprogressive means of immigration and kind of making it more modernized. In 2003, though, in the Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, 
was created as a new Department of Homeland Security. In other words, this is ICE. Many of you know what ICE is, but many of you don't understand how it was founded or why it was founded and what it actually does or is quote-unquote supposed to do. In March of 2003, the Homeland Security Act was set into motion and would essentially create the single largest government record reorganization since the creation of the Department of Defense. Congress essentially granted ICE, otherwise known as the Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a unique combination of civil and criminal authorities to better protect national security and public safety in answer to the tragic events on 9-11. This is kind of fluff to an extent to kind of hide the actual true malpractice of ICE, but on paper and from its founding, that is the real reason why ICE was founded to kind of create a sense of security of immigrants coming in and out of the United States post 9-11. ICE, while they were leveraging these authorities, made their primary mission to promote homeland security and public safety through the criminal and civil enforcement of federal laws that govern border control, customs, trade, and immigration, most importantly. Kind of fast forwarding a little bit today, ICE does have more than 20,000 law enforcement and support personnel in more than 400 offices in the United States and around the world. ICE is granted a budget of $8 billion annually. In my opinion, this is an absurd amount of money to give to an organization that essentially is now in modern day discriminated, not discriminated against, but more looked at with a side eye because of the malpractice that they have done and they've been caught on camera of how they kind of abuse their power. ICE has since been documented on a Netflix documentary abusing their power in the immigrant community. This documentary shows the ins and outs of ICE and how they use their power and the misunderstanding of immigrants not understanding how the law works to power trip and getting them to essentially admit their guilt and eventually get deported from the country. They're seeing you they're seen using an abuse of power and tricking these immigrants, as said previously, into opening their doors, which then allow for them to detain them and bring them to holding facilities where they are to be separated from their families and deported back to their country of origin. It is a sad reality because these families fled their country to make a better life for their family and they're being prosecuted for doing so. The most the most important part to understand through all of this is that these immigrants, if made possible, would be more than happy to do this process legally, but because it is so difficult to officially be seen as a citizen in the United States, they just don't really have a choice. They have to basically fend for themselves and look for the best opportunities for their family, and sometimes that means leaving their country without having second questions or having time to figure out how to come in legally and just make a name for themselves in this country and try to start over. The citizenship process in the United States is so complex and difficult, it does make it virtually impossible for residents to feel comfortable doing this process of citizenship, as I said. It's it's just, it's made to be so difficult, and in many times it takes years, years, just to get a citizenship into the United States. These families aren't leaving because they're bored and want to go on vacation. They're leaving because they have to and don't really have a choice. It's because of this sense of, of kind of hopelessness that they come into this country and are basically living in fear of ICE coming and splitting their family up. That should say enough. The fact that, that they would rather have the risk of having their family split up than stay in the country that they're from should show the state of urgency that they had to leave their country and should just basically mean 
that they're not just doing that that they are trying to be citizens in this country and provide and like contribute to society with jobs although low paid and if anything minimum wage they just want they they'll do anything just to make ends meet and make their family feel more safe than where they were when they came it is it's sad because like these families fled their country to make a better life the citizen process as i said in the united states it's it's just so complex and it makes it virtually impossible for residents to feel comfortable doing the process of citizenship it is because of this that they are unmotivated to do this process legally because they do not have the luxury of time on their hands that in my opinion is the biggest thing time time is unmeasurable and you can't buy it there's no more, there's no price to it it's just something that some people have more of and some people don't in my opinion there should be an organization that helps these immigrants fleeing their country to find a better life not an organization that was created to send them back home with no context or reasoning except for the fact that they are american citizens an example of this is the secure fence act of 2006 due to the failure of immigration reform legislation in the senate this law began the construction of a double layered fence that is approximately 700 miles long and in addition to this fence it was an increase of staffing and technology at the southwest border that was seen to improve this so-called sense of security. This was done as a means to keep people of Mexican origin out of the United States and enact harsh policies that were implemented if they crossed illegally. To kind of move from past history to more recent history, it has been shown through news reports, Twitter trends, like the list goes on, of the poor quality of these holding camps and shows literal families being separated with crying babies as the father is sometimes sent back to their country alone as the rest of their family is being processed in the holding facility. The immigration law should be implemented to find ways for these families to stay together and be working citizens as they work for their citizenship and given an equal opportunity for a background check should that be conducted. Not the opposite. The opposite being that they are placed with the sole purpose of keeping America American. I just, I've seen these videos and these videos are just extremely upsetting because you'd think that a country that is on paper seen to be so welcoming and the land of the free and opportunity to have holding cells that are so animalistic that couldn't even date that. Like they look like, like actual prison, prison camps. There should be facilities and centers that hold these families in that they can come to with confidence that help them under like understand how the United States works and tutor them on their visa, not even their visa, on more their green card and having citizenship in the United States rather than having them live in fear. If you have immigrants living in fear and you're surprised that crime rates through immigrants are somewhat high, then that's just being ignorant because what do you expect of a family who is living in fear to do if someone is threatening their family's livelihood or safety. It's impossible to have them feel safe and be quote unquote like productive members of society if they aren't part of the society. The first step in my opinion to changing this is keeping ICE because on paper ICE is beneficial to the country's national security but changing how it works and what it does. It should go to houses of families who are in need, who are here illegally, but not with the intent of putting them in these prison camps. This is what I'm going to call them because they're not holding cells, they're prison camps. 
and taking them to facilities that are owned by ICE, if even, where they can have their family sleep if need be or stay in their house, but they can come for classes, courses, have teachers with food and help them prepare for their citizenship so that they can officially join the workforce without being mistreated in poor paying construction jobs or having jobs that just have basically no pay that it's just it's extreme labor they should be able to acclimate into the society that they're they're basically running from a country to go to another country that they're not wanted so they have two options they can either hide go to jobs that pay basically nothing and put like ends meet barely put food on the table or go back to their country where they will be essentially possibly higher rate of being killed a person that's backed into a corner with those being the only two options is never going to be able to feel safe and be fully productive and use their talents because they don't know if those talents are going to go back tomorrow, the next day, or in the future. To give a small example, nothing of this extreme, but my family is not from the United States. My family is from Cuba. My grandparents left Cuba during the Fidel revolution of when he toppled government and they were basically executing citizens on the streets with no repercussion or description on essentially cargo ships and came here to the United States. Luckily, they were able to find a way to get citizenship without being sent back to their country because it would have been catastrophic and I probably I probably would not be here today to tell the story. But they were able to get jobs with well, my grandfather more than my grandmother. My grandmother had to take care of her kids, but my grandfather was able to get a job and slowly work his way up but it was no easy feat. He faced discrimination every single day. Lower wages than everyone else was set up for failure and was lucky to, to be able to overcome it because of his hard will. And that trickled down through generations with my mother and my father who worked hard, basically having to learn the language, having to acclimate into the United States and their culture. And it's just, it's unfair because I've seen it firsthand. I've seen the discrimination that, that, that Hispanic people face in all over the world but primarily in Miami for me because that's where I'm from it's just it's just not a fair situation that anyone should have to deal with people are always side-eyed or looking at you like you are cheating the system if you're not American I mean Miami is a little bit different because Miami is more inclusive and very diverse but even in other places as soon as you leave Miami to upstate Florida things start getting tricky and people start looking at you like you shouldn't be here and just inequality in the workforce, like my mother is the only Hispanic shareholder in her firm. And even with that, she's still discriminated against by the all white and all male rest of the board because they kind of feel threatened that they don't have all the power and they don't know what to do with when there's a woman of Hispanic descent in that same room making decisions with them when they feel like they should be the ones with the power. Kind of to wrap this all up, just to, to give you the whole the whole concept. Immigration in the United States has dated back much further than where I started in 1917. It's been an issue since the 1800s, 1700s. But I wanted to keep it more recent so you can understand on a more modernized front. It, it goes from like World War One with the whole situation of, of confusion to 9-11, post-security creating ICE and having these these camps holding just just miserable miserable people who just can't it's just it's it's graphic and it's gruesome and it honestly makes me sick to my stomach having to watch these people fight for their lives in cells because 
They're not criminals. They're just trying to make a living and trying to keep their family safe. The United States needs to figure it out. They need to find a way to make this inclusive and make these people feel safe to leave their country and benefit from the opportunities that are given by living and being a citizen of the United States. And honestly, I think that if higher ups would see this, they could understand that there is more margin of benefit of having these individuals be productive members of society. They would contribute much more than having them just in cells rotting away waiting to be sent back home. This this country cannot say that it is equal and it is free because this just does not span to just immigration and just Hispanics. There is still persecution to, to African Americans, to the LGBTQ community, to the, the Jewish the Jewish community. There it spans through all different types of ethnic ethnicity, sexual orientation, races. There is just still so much discrimination in this country, and I just there needs to be a change because because I don't know how much more this country can take until they're really gonna stop using their voice and and try to come up with another solution. Because if someone doesn't listen. Sometimes you might have to show them rather than tell them because ignorance is, is sometimes one of the biggest vices someone can have. So I love speaking to you guys about this. I'm sure I might come out with another episode on something somewhat related to it. Any questions, feel free to reach out. My name is Andre Rods, and I, I, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you learned a lot. And I hope you understand that where I'm coming from, I'm just, I'm just fed up and something needs to change. Thank you.